If you're like me, occasionally, maybe today, the rock is right here. The hard place is over here, and I'm right there in the middle. You ever been there? Maybe you're there right now. The rock, and I look this way, and there's the hard place, and here I am. Um, uh, you know, it's interesting to me. When I was a kid, when I was a kid, um, you remember Foreman Scotty? A lot of Oklahoma City people here. If you don't know who Foreman Scotty is, you didn't grow up in Oklahoma City. So, huh? I'd forgotten Nick Billy. I just remember um, Cannonball McCoy is the one I remember who played parts on other things. He was a weatherman on the side, I think. But, um, but he would occasionally say, I think it was Foreman Scotty, he would occasionally exclaim, Jumpin' Jehoshaphat. <laughs> we're going to talk about Jehoshaphat today. When Rhonda and I were, um, well, at least uh, she was younger. I know you're not sure that I was ever young, but... Uh, and our kids were little, she directed um, a big children's choir in eastern Kentucky, and uh, there was a musical that we did one year called Fat, Fat Jehoshaphat. And uh, so it made me, it drove me to the Old Testament to find out who is this guy, and so I'm going to share some of that with you today. Um, you'll read his story, but I want to give you a little bit, um, I want to give you a little bit of background. So who was he? Now, uh, Ezra, the priest, chronicles, literally, so the chronicles are, he's writing history uh, from, from a little bit later. But Ezra chronicles the kings of Judah, uh, beginning with the United Kingdom of Israel under Saul. So if you go back and read First Chronicles, now I'm going to tell you, I didn't read both books this week, okay? I, I, I didn't, but I read several chapters, okay? So, so, but if I started in First Chronicles, I would read about the United Kingdom of Israel under Saul, and that doesn't last very long. David takes his place, okay? And Solomon takes David's place. So by the end of, of First Chronicles, uh, if you're looking there, um, as Second Chronicles begins, David has died, left the scene, and Solomon, his son, becomes king. You know a little bit about Solomon from what? Reading the Proverbs, reading Song of Solomon. Okay, so um, uh, this was the kind of the zenith of the history of Israel was under David and under his son uh, Solomon. So as Second Chronicles begins, Solomon is now taking control, becoming king over the United Kingdom of Israel. But that doesn't last very long. Uh, civil war takes place under his son, Rehoboam. And, um, and from that time on, there is a northern kingdom which will be identified as Israel. Okay, so when you, in this part of the Old Testament, when it's talking about Israel, it's talking about the northern ten tribes. And when it talks about Judah, it talks about the southern two tribes, including Judah and Benjamin. Uh, that is going to get uh, contracted by the time we read the story of Jesus and the Gospels. Those in that southern kingdom are known as Jews. Uh, so from Judah to Jews kind of gets that deal. Well, here's what we're going to talk about part of their history here. So the book will cover the kings of the southern kingdom, Judah. Some of them were good. Many of them weren't. We're going to talk today about two who kind of were. 
um, actually, Jehoshaphat's father was, was a man named Asa. He had a long reign. He reigned from about 911 B.C. to 870 or so B.C., so 80-some years. Can you? Okay, this is a dangerous question, but can you imagine having the same president for 80 years? That could work out pretty well, and often it didn't work all that well to have the same king for that long. But, but so for uh, nearly 80 years, Asa was the king. That's Jehoshaphat's dad. Um, his leadership was mostly good. Now go with me to chapter 16 for a second, okay? Chapter 16, all right? And we're going to read some good things and some not so good things about Jehoshaphat's dad, Asa. Look at verse 7. At that time, Hanani, the seer, so it's a prophet, came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the kingdom of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hands. So he's reminding you of some, of some history when Asa himself said, you know what? I can make an alliance with another group, but I'm not going to do it. I'm going to depend on God, and it turned out well. The prophet here is saying, why are you not doing that this time? So there were times when he made really good and wise decisions, and times when he didn't. That's Jehoshaphat's dad. Look at chapter 15. Now the Spirit of God, verse 1 and 2, the Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, another priest, another prophet, and he went out to meet Asa and said to him, listen to me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin, the Lord is with you when you're with him. And if you seek him, he'll let you find him. But if you forsake him, he'll forsake you. Isn't that interesting? Uh, the Lord is with you when you're with him. Now, the truth is, can I tell you something? The Lord has been with me at times when I'm not sure I was exactly with him. And that's kind of true of you. But this general principle is, if you'll follow him, he'll, he'll stay with you. Um, um, seeking the Lord is all important. So Asa is kind of learning those lessons. He makes some pretty good decisions, and then some are not all that good. So, now, with, with an Australian accent, um, um, Brother Steve, can I prevail on you to read from chapter 17, the first four verses, and you can do that with a New Zealand accent if you'd like to. No pressure. Okay. Now, catch this. Did you catch it? It said, not the ways of Israel. That's those 10 northern tribes that we were talking about, okay? Who, by the way, if you look at all the kings of Israel, none of them were good. We'll talk about one of them today. None of them were good. A few of the kings in the south were, and many of them were not. Asa had good days and bad days. So look at verse 10 in chapter 16. It's kind of interesting to me uh, that Jehoshaphat generally followed in mostly, mostly in the good ways of his father. All right. Um, but if you look back at 10, uh, when, he gets, when, um, when Asa gets bad news, so Hanani uh, kind of gives him that prediction that we read a little bit, bit ago. Look at verse 10. Then Asa was angry with the seer, with the prophet, put him in prison, for he was enraged at him for this, and Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. So, uh, so there were some things here that <clears throat> dad didn't choose right, so when Hanani the preacher didn't tell him what he wanted to hear, he had the preacher thrown in jail. 
Okay? Can I... This is a dangerous question to ask in the context of 2020 politics. Can I always depend on military might to take care of me? In a day when uh, I would I would argue, in a day when the U.S. had the strongest military presence in the world, 9/11 took place. Okay, I better learn not. Ron and I love all things military, and I watch all kind, I read all kinds of. Stuff. I'm reading a, a story about the. I'm reading a book about the Civil War now. And we were watching, when we were going to sleep last night, watching the thing on the F-4. Because uh, I was just fascinated at, at airplanes. And, um, but, but where is my B-52 pilot, by the way? I was just looking for my B-52 pilot over there. Is he back here somewhere? Or he may, may have already gone to, to do his thing. So, um, but I recognize... While I kind of understand all that, I better learn not to depend on military might, at least personally. And I want to be careful if I'm a political leader about that. Now, there's something else uh, that, that we got to catch here. The second question I ask, okay, can I always depend on, sorry, Rhonda, can I always depend on medical science? Okay. Uh, Trisha asked me this morning. We still are not real sure what's going on with Jake. He's uh, he's working through it. But somebody else said, "Well, have you seen this kind of doctor? Have you seen this kind of doctor? Have you gone to Mayo Clinic?" We've done about as much as we can uh, to the tune of twenty thousand bucks, and still no answers. Can I always depend on medical science? Sometimes not. Look at verse eleven and twelve from verse sixteen. Uh, Asa gets a sore foot. Now, it must have been worse than just a sore foot um, because it eventually takes his life. But look here. Now, the acts of Asa from first to last, this is verse 11 and 12 and 16. Um, they're written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. In the 39th year of his reign, Asa began a disease in his feet. His disease was severe, yet even in his disease, he did not seek the Lord, but the physicians. Now, the answer would it not be would be to seek both. I think, Larry, I'm looking at you because you've had to do that over the last couple of years. The best medical advice you can get, best medical treatment you can get, but constantly saying, would you pray for me? I know the Lord heals. Okay, so uh, Asa um, kind of had a couple of things going on where he didn't completely trust God but trusted in medical science only at one point, in his military uh, wisdom and might in another point, and it just didn't work out all that well look, uh, for him. Look at verse 3 and 4 in chapter 17, now about Jehoshaphat. So Jehoshaphat, the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because he followed the example of the father David earlier days and did not seek the Baals. Now those are, um, those are the gods of the Canaanites. But... but uh, sought the God of his father, followed his commandments, and did not act as Israel did. So, the new king was good, and he made some pretty good decisions. That's what goes in those next blanks. He was good, he was a good king, generally, and he made some pretty good decisions. His dad, 
kind of was 50-50, if, if I could say that. Now, so uh, we find here a pretty good leader making some pretty good decisions, a, some wise decisions seeking the Lord, and then Jehoshaphat finds himself squarely between the rock and the hard place. I want to know that the leaders that I'm following are listening to God when the nation is between a rock and a hard place. Okay? Steve, can I come back to you? Would you mind to read the next little section? We're going to go over to chapter 20, and I'm going to let you read that whole paragraph there, if you will, uh, 1 through 12. Okay. I'm not Terry Fakes, but here's my attempt at a map. Palestine, Israel, Judah lays between the Mediterranean Sea, the Jordan River on the north that flows into the Dead Sea in the south. So we're talking about Judah's right in here somewhere. Uh, in this between a rock and a hard place moment, there are three different armies of people coming from the east that do something that's entirely unexpected. They come at them from the east, they go around the Dead Sea and camp out here in the desert. And they're just, there's thousands of them. My dad would say there are jillions of them. And they're out there, three different, from three different armies from three different countries, and they're getting ready to attack Judah and King Jehoshaphat. Uh, what makes this difficult is they did an unusual move here. When... Um, I've done some study in the past and done some training with those who um, provide pastoral care. Okay, done, done a little bit of this. What we realize is that the, the severity of the test, the severity of, of my, my stress uh, going through a hard time is added to, is exacerbated by suddenness and unexpectedness. So one of the worst tragedies to try to get over are not the protracted illness. That's hard in itself. But when it happens suddenly and I lose someone or suddenly I'm ill and my whole life changes. Uh, it is, for instance, Bo Jackson coming in from a routine hip injury and although he was a star baseball player and a star football player, he never played either one of those things again. And his life changed in a day. Had this, just thought it was a routine hip pointer, and the doctor said, you're not going to play anymore. So you've read some of those stories, but, and maybe you've experienced something where it, was, it, it wasn't, it wasn't protracted. It was sudden, and it was tragic, and it was really, really hard. The rock in the hard place that Jehoshaphat finds himself in is this insurmountable problem that came really quickly and unexpectedly. And so the problem is they're surrounded by all these tribal enemies, and it happened unexpectedly. He had no idea they were coming, and it happened pretty quick. So, he does the right thing. If you look at verse 3 and verse 4, he says to the people, 
to the nation. He gathers the people together and says, um, I don't know what we're going to do. But while we don't know what we're going to do, we're going to seek the Lord. And he literally proclaims a national fast. What's a fast? He said, folks, we're not going to eat for a while. Now, by the way, if you remember, Rhonda, in that little kid's musical, Jehoshaphat was fat until after the fast, and then he wasn't fat anymore. You remember that? Uh, that we had a kid in a fat suit, and then he came out in a skinny suit, I, as I recall. Um, so, and by, the other thing, the other funny thing, so who, who the guy was that wrote this thing? Um, this prayer, he prays really fast. I'm and he says, no, I don't mean that. Don't mean to pray fast. I mean pray and fast, okay? <laughs> so he has the nation do that. Now, now, um, the wording of verse 3 is important. Let's look at it. I, I, I really think so. It says, Jehoshaphat was afraid. Interesting. Isn't it good that they admit that in the Bible? He was afraid. And he turned his attention to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So, the lesson here is to fast when I'm tempted to fret Instead, Joseph hasn't always responded this way. Um, if, if you read chapter 18, um, he makes an alliance in chapter 18, and another time when he felt threatened, he makes an alliance with, for crying out loud, Ahab. Now, what do we know about Ahab? He was married to a Jezebel of a woman. Yeah, I mean, that Ahab, whose wife was pulling all the strings. And Jehoshaphat, in chapter 18, makes an alliance with that cat. Didn't go very well. Ahab is killed in battle. Jehoshaphat almost was. So he hadn't always gotten it right, but he does here. Um, I, I, I think, think it's interesting here. It's, it's important here that he became, track with me, he became a spiritual political leader. How did he lead here? And by the way, if I read this right, there is no record of a national fast before this time. Um, it, fasting is talked about a little bit in the book of Leviticus as part of kind of the ongoing uh, life uh, of, of a person, a believer in God. And it's, you know, that they accepted, you know, an occasional fast as part of a part of their worship life. But, but evidently in, in the history of Israel, in the history of anybody, there was never a time when they said, we're going to, as a country, we're going to fast and look to God. Do I always need to proclaim a fast in my life when I'm looking for something from God? We kind of do, right? Oh, Lord, I got this big decision to make, so I'm going to fast. Lord, um, um, I, I, I need you to fix this problem for you. Now, that's, this is kind of what's going on here. But the truth is, if I read about fasting in the New Testament, fasting has more to do with read about Jesus in, um, in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Jesus fasted just to get to know the Father better. 
and to be led by him in a greater way. Wouldn't it be wonderful to have spiritual political leaders, so put a slash in there, who said, you know what? We're up against it. I'm just going to call the nation to pray for a couple of days. That has happened before, and it happened here. That's what he did. He said, instead, he was afraid, and he said, you know, I'm tempted to just be afraid, but instead of fretting, I'm going to call the people to fast. And he, he didn't just do it himself, although he did it himself, he led. He called the people to join him. You know what? I need, I need a concerted prayer effort for the next few days. So we're going to fast, and as a country, we're going to pray. I put the reference there of uh, Philippians 4, 7, and 8. That's that classic New Testament passage where Paul says, um, do not be anxious for anything. Don't fret. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving... Present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. What's my, what's my go-to reaction? Fret. Troy and I were talking about another issue a little bit ago. It could be that some of our natural reaction is to pull a gun. I'm glad somebody does sometimes. But what's our, what should be our inclination? To pray. Faith should be the reaction. So, this good political leader, this good king, who kind of learned his lesson, says, we're going to fast and pray. Now, look at verse 5. So he shows up in an assembly of people, and the king prays out loud before the people. Look, look at how it's said. Cindy, would you mind to go back and read 5, 6, and 7? Okay, now you got to catch the scene. The, the, the leaders of all the people are gathered together, and the king comes before him, and he's got on a hat. That's not in here. I read about this in the commentaries. He's got on a red ball cap that says, Make Judah godly again. That's probably not in there. Sorry. <laughs> Couldn't resist. But he, the priests are supposed to be the one doing the praying. The Levites are supposed to be the ones doing the praying. The prophets are supposed to be the ones doing the praying. But the king says, guys, can, can I lead us in prayer? And I love the fact that the, um, that the priest says, uh, you're the king. Knock yourself out. And he prays this marvelous prayer. What does he say? The first thing he does is to remind God of whom God is. He's not reminding God of whom Jehoshaphat is. He's reminding God of whom God is. Lord, you are something. You catch that verbiage there? Look how marvelous you are. In front of all these people, he's just admitting. He starts rehearsing. God, you are this and you are that and you are this. That's a great way to start any prayer, by the way. Especially when I'm between a rock and a hard place. Lord, you are marvelous. 
in the best sense, in the only sense of that term. And then he reminds him of what he has done. That's what he prays. So if you read verse 8, 9, 10, 11, what you read is that these people, all these armies that have amassed here, are groups of people that when Canaan was being populated um, um, in the days of Moses and then in the days of Joshua, when, when it was being populated, when they were moving back in here, literally, these were peoples, okay, that uh, the, Munite, the Munites were over in Edom. So those are, some of those guys are probably descendants of, of Esau. And he says, and, and the others are, you know, they're kissing cousins in some way, but, but they're kind of mean motor scooters. Anyway, and, and so as they're going through here, um, when they're populating the, the land, Joshua and Moses just kind of say, mm, we're just kind of going to turn our head and walk on. They leave them alone. Now, you could argue that's a problem, but it's interesting here. In, in uh, Jehoshaphat's prayer, he says in verse 11, look how they're rewarding us by coming to drive us out from your position, which you have given us as an inheritance. In other words, he's saying, we showed them favor, and now look how they're treating us. So, the money verse of the chapter is verse 12 in a lot of ways. My little boy has been living in, and this is one of the reasons I want to talk about this today. My little boy has been living in 2 Chronicles 2012. Listen to it. All right? He says, Our God, will you not judge them? For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. You ever been there? But our eyes are on you. When facing an insurmountable problem or some insurmountable issue, it's never wise to focus only on the problem. When you don't know what to do, look beyond it. Don Wilson, I think you taught me this when we were riding together, I think you taught me this. If not, I know you would concur with me. And that is, I've had, I was on a motorcycle several times when some pickup guy dropped something in the road ahead of me. One time it was a ladder for crying out loud. Okay? Often I'd come around a corner and there'd be a two before in the road. Don, what do you do? You don't look at it. That seem impossibly backwards. Don't whatever you do, don't look at that thing in the road. Why, Don? You'll drive right into it. Look beyond it. Where should their focus be? On the problem? No. On the Lord, who's the Lord of my problem. So he says to them, okay? Um, uh, notice a couple of things here. They acknowledge there is a problem. You see that? They acknowledge that uh, in verse 12, for we are powerless before this great multitude. I, I, I love this, uh, Teresa. This is the first step in the 12 steps. Realize I'm powerless. This is beyond me. And then secondly, they recognize that 
Our eyes are on you. We're powerless. We're going to look at you. And we're going to look only at you. What a king. What a leader. Okay? So look at the rest of the story here. Um, If you'll jump down to verse 14 and 15. All right? Um, uh, Something happens that's that's literally miraculous. Um, In the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jehaziel. Jael, the son of Mathaniah, the Levite of the sons of Asaph. So this was a preacher. And he said, listen, all Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Interesting here. Without a shot, the enemy was routed. If you read Verse 18 down through 21, you realize that two of these guys got ticked at each other and they started picking one another off. And then they and whoever won that battle turned on the third one. Judah never fired a shot. Literally, it gets even better than that, do you know? What did they do after that? They looted the whole thing. They came out of this with all kinds of goodies and never fired a shot. Why? Because of um, because of verse 15 here. The battle was not theirs. It never was. And they had a king and spiritual leaders who would recognize it. Now, in battle, is it good to know that God is on your side? Uh, that's kind of the middle square of the bingo card, right? So where should your focus be? I want to leave you two things to think about in the context of this story. Um. First, remember who's on your side. The rock's here, hard places here, I'm here, but God's in here with me. Remember who's on your side. Now, the truth is, maybe better yet, I need to make sure I'm on his side. Is that maybe better advice? (laughs) You know, I think sometimes I've got a battle that's my own making and I'm still making bad decisions. And I say, God, why haven't you showed up? God is there. But it could be that he wants me to kind of change the way I'm doing some things. Wouldn't it be better to say, God, I want to be sure I'm on your side in this. Which way do we go? I'll follow you. My prayer has changed over the last year. This is just kind of interesting. I used to pray constantly, and I would pray it in public. Lord, uh, lead us. (laughs) Today, he is leading me. He leads me moment by moment. What I'm praying now is, God, cause me to follow your leadership. Because there's so many times that I kind of want my own way. Wouldn't it be better between the rock and the hard place to say, okay, God, which way are you going? I'm going to follow you out of this thing. So, in the middle of the battle, I need to recognize who is on my side. If we're doing his work, aligned with him, the battle is really his, not mine. Kind of becomes a no-brainer. And then secondly, I want you to look back at verse 12. Let me read it just so it can wash over your soul. One more time. 
O our God, will you not judge them? We are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. But our eyes are on you. (laughs) So, remember where our focus must be. I've got to look somehow, by faith, beyond the insurmountable task, beyond the insurmountable problem. And my guess is that everybody in here has got at least one of those that you're kind of dealing with. I've got to look beyond the insurmountable deal and look to him. Okay, I need to be really, really honest with you this morning, so stick with me for another couple of minutes and we'll go. I share this lesson with you not because I've got this all figured out and I need to say this in the presence of this girl right here because she's found me a lot of times in the last 30 days especially just throwing up my hands what are we going to do and I found myself in recent days just getting mad about it all Being honest here, this never has happened to you, but it happens to me, okay? Just cranky, mad. Okay, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm doing this, I'm making good decisions. Why why hasn't this been figured out? I'm just kind of ticked about it. Teresa, I think even in those moments, it's okay to admit that to God. It's okay to say, I am powerless. You've got all the power in this, but I don't like it. I think it's okay to say that. My journals are chock full of it. Okay, Lord, when are you showing up? What are we going to do? And I've admitted my anger. I think that's kind of an important thing. Rock, hard place, me, mad. Okay, (laughs) Just surly, stewing, gritting my teeth. You don't ever do that, do you? Can you imagine Trisha gritting her teeth about anything? I can't, but I do. I have to recognize this is beyond me, and I've got to look beyond it, whatever it is if I'm going to see the battle to its completion. The battle's not really yours. It's his, if you're on his side. And the best focus I can have is to say, okay, Lord, I don't get it. I don't think I'm supposed to get it. But my eyes are on you. I'm watching you. I'm literally, Lord, I'm going to be, um, I'm going to be so close to you that I could smell your aftershave because I don't want to miss a single turn you make. God probably doesn't wear aftershave. Sorry, that was any. <laughs> if he does, though, I would like some. Okay. I just want to follow you. And I know you're going to see us through this. And instead of looking at the ladder in the road, Don, I'm going to put my eyes on you. I'm going to look beyond it. 
Okay, so you didn't need this, but I did. Is that, that fair? Here's where I want you to go for next week. I want you to stay in the same book, and I want you to go to chapter 34. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to drag you through something even more obscure next week. Um, 2 Chronicles 34 is where we'll be. Okay? I'll see you then. <laughs>